to what you've done. I certainly realize there's a lot of other places you could be this evening rather than being here, but I'm glad that you've made the choice to come be under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And um, I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to reveal to us through His precious, powerful truth. There's something special about God's people coming to God's place, uh, getting in God's truth, and um, experiencing His presence. And that's what I'm looking forward to this evening. And I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here. We're going to get, again, like I said before, we'll be in Galatians chapter number 3. That's where we left off last time we were together in our study of Galatians. As most of you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through a book of the Word of God on Wednesday nights. And right now, uh, we find ourselves in Galatians chapter number 3. Now, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is still um, defending his belief that salvation is given to us by faith in Jesus and not by works of the law. Now, if you're here tonight and you believe also that the gift of salvation is given to us by faith in Jesus and not by works of the law, say amen. amen. It's all because of who and what he has done for us that we can be saved, be born again in the family of God. And that's what Paul is continuing preaching all throughout the book of Galatians. That's the um, really the foundation of his message here. Um, but it's not only in Galatians, it's all throughout his writings. It's all throughout the New Testament. The Bible makes it clear over and over and over again. I believe that the gift of salvation faith in Jesus for several reasons. Number one, simply because God's word says it again, not just in Galatians, but all throughout the New Testament continually reiterates that point. We need to understand that. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. In Christ alone we are saved. Can you say amen? It's all glory and honor to Him. For He has done for us what we cannot and could not do for, our, do for ourselves. The Bible teaches that salvation is a gift we receive by faith and not a work we achieve by keeping the law. It says it over and over and over again. Now that's the first and foremost, that's my main reason for believing that salvation is a gift given faith in Christ. But secondly, I know that salvation is a gift given because I realize power. I'm never going to be able to work enough to make myself right with God. I can't do it. I can't do it. Let me tell you why I can't do it. Because, folks, I can never do enough to meet God's standard. See, His standard is perfection. Now, that causes for all of us a problem. Would you agree? Now, let me ask you something. Wives, do, do any wives in here have perfect husbands? Any husbands have perfect wives? What about you, parents? Do you have any perfect children? Children, do you have any perfect parents? Absolutely not. None of us are perfect. And if God's requirement for doing His work or for doing His law, keeping His law is perfection to make ourselves right, then none of us can make ourselves right. Are, are you getting the point? Are you getting the picture that Paul is painting for us here? Folks, it's only by grace through faith that we are saved. Are saved. It's not of works lest anybody should bo could boast. I can't boast in who I am or what I've done because who I am and what I've done is not enough. 
I can only boast in the finished work of Jesus. I can only glory in Him, for He is the only one who can truly um, make me a child of God. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. The Apostle Paul is continually teaching in Galatians that good works are not the reason for our salvation, but the result of our salvation. Good works, I, I don't do good works to be saved, I want to work for the Lord and please Him and honor and glorify Him because I'm already saved. Amen? I want to live my life for Him because I know what He's done for me. He first loved me, therefore I love Him. And because I love Him, I do what Jesus said in John 15, 14. I keep His commandments. Excuse me, John 14, 15. I keep His commandments. You know that's what Jesus said? If you love me, then keep my commandments. Because he first loved me, I love him. And because I love him, I want to do what he says. I want to do the good works that he's commanded me to do so that he might be honored, so that he might be glorified. Jesus said that we're to do good works so that um, people will see Christ in you, so that we will, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Uh, and so we need to understand good works are not the reason for salvation, but the result of true salvation being born again in the family of God. Here in Galatians chapter 3, he is defending this belief masterfully. We looked at a little bit of it last time we were together, and he started out with a personal argument. You remember that in verses 1 through 5, and how he challenged those believers there in Galatia and that region to take a personal inventory of their life. And really what he asked them, if you see there in verse number 2, um, he says, this only I would learn of you. Receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? So he asked him, he said, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it because you were doing works of the law or did you receive the Spirit when you trusted by faith in Jesus? Because, listen to me, the work of the Spirit in a person's life is the true test of really where you are with Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter number 8. That if we have the Spirit, the Spirit bears witness with us that we are the children of God. Amen? And so it's by the work of the Spirit. That's the true test of where you are with the Lord. So he's asking them, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it by faith or by works of the law? He's asking them to take a personal inventory of the Spirit's work in their life. And folks, if there's one thing that we all need to do on an individual basis is take inventory, inventory of our life to see whether or not we are in the faith. Because that, that's what the Bible continually tells us to do. How has the Holy Spirit done a work on you and in you? How's he working through you? Has there ever been a time in your life when the, God the Holy Spirit convicted your heart in such a way that you realized your need for a Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you realized your sinfulness, that you are hopeless and helpless without Jesus? Has that happened for you? Did you place your faith in Christ? And listen, has the Holy Spirit of God, first of all, done a work in you that's made a difference through you? I'm thankful that God once done a work in me. He continues that work. And what he's done on the inside has made a difference on the outside. And, and all of that is um, because of his work, his power, changing us from the inside out. And so Paul asked them and he asked us, 
What about personally? What's God the Holy Spirit done for you? He uses the personal argument and then he moves on in verse number 6 to the scriptural argument. And that's what we really want to look at tonight. What does scripture say, Old Testament and New Testament, about salvation, true salvation? What it really means to be born again in the family of God. He begins in verse number 6 and he starts using um, scripture to make his point. And he begins at a very good place. I, I can't think of a better person to start with in scripture if you're going to talk about the gift of salvation given by faith than the father of the faith <laughs> we all know the father of the faith to be abraham himself we all used to sing the song when we were i remember i did when i was in vacation bible school or sunday school father abraham had many sons and many sons had father abraham you remember that well there, there's a lot of truth to that song and we'll see it in just a moment but um, he starts with Father Abraham, the father of the faith, and he makes this argument according to Scripture. Look how he puts it, verse number 6. He says, Even so as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now look what he says in verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now, he says, When Abraham believed God, it was accounted. Everybody say accounted. Accounted is just what it sounds like. It's an accounting term. Really what the Bible is saying here and in many other places is that when, and we're going to look at them in just a moment, when Abraham believed who God was and what God said, in that moment, listen, Abraham was considered righteous before God. Not because he had done anything, but simply because he believed in who God was and what God said. Because of his faith, righteousness was put on his account. Isn't that good news? And what's true for Abraham, according to verse 7, is also true for us. When we choose to place faith in who God is and what God says. Let's go back and look. I want to give you some reference to what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 3. But we've got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter number 12 to do so. Let's, let's look there just a moment. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse number 1. Look how the Bible puts this. I like it. Genesis 12, starting there in verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that curse thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. Excuse me, I will bless him that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So that Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So the Bible says that Abraham was in Haran. He was in a pagan nation, worshiping a pagan god, living in his father's house. He wasn't following the one true God. He wasn't doing good things at all. He was doing his own thing, going his own way. And God came to where Abraham was and spoke to him. And he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house, leave your, leave your kindred, leave your, your, um, all you can, leave your country. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And for, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, 
Abraham believed God. He placed faith in who God was and what God said. And the evidence of that faith was shown by the action of his feet. Are you hearing me? The action of his feet did not save him. But the faith he placed in who God is and what God said saved him. The action in the feet is evident of as evidence of the faith in his heart. Are you getting what I'm saying? Again, good works, doing what God says, is not the reason for salvation, but the result of salvation. Abraham believed God, the Bible says, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I want to just go a little bit further here. Um, this really gets off track just a little bit. I want to chase a rabbit. Maybe we can catch it, then we'll get right back on track. But I want you to notice something that the Bible promises here. It says, um, God said to Abraham in verse 2, I will make thee a great nation. Has God kept that promise? Israel is today a great nation and has been in the past a great nation. By anybody's estimation, it is a great nation financially speaking. It's one of the richest nations in the world. It's a great nation morally speaking. It's a great nation and, and, and politically speaking as the Jew goes, so goes the world really. I mean, it is truly a great nation. So let me ask you something. Did God keep his promise? Look what else it says. I'll make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. So did God keep that promise? Did he bless Abraham and make his name great? I'm going to tell you what, Abraham's name is great among Christians. Abraham's great name is great among Muslims. Abraham's name is great among Jews. Abraham's name is great among pretty much everybody in the world. Everybody knows Father Abraham. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, I heard him preaching once upon a time, and he said he was in Israel on a tour in the Holy Land. And he said that his tour guide was, um, was a, a Muslim man. And they were talking about some of the sites that they were looking at there in the Holy Land. And, and on some of their downtime, on one of their breaks, he began talking to this man about the Lord. And that man took him all the way back to Abraham. And he said, Abraham is my father just like he's the Jews' father. Abraham was seen as great among that Muslim man just like he's seen great among, and he's right, and, he's, and it's just like he's seen great among the Jews. God kept his promise to bless him and make his name great. Look what else he promised. He says, and thou shalt be a blessing. Was Abraham a blessing to everybody? How? It was through the lineage of Abraham that Jesus came to this world. So it's because of God's work in and through Abraham that Jesus came physically to do for man what man can't do for themselves. That goes to verse number three. And I will bless thee, that them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families of the earth are blessed through Father Abraham because it's through his lineage that Jesus, the Savior, came to save the world. He says, I'll bless you, bless them that Bless you and curse them that curse you. Has God kept his promise in that? Absolutely has. If you don't believe me, ask the Assyrians. Ask the Babylonians. Ask the Romans. Ask Hitler. 
Hitler said he was going to exterminate the Jews. He burned the Bible. He tried to do away with God's truth and God's people. Guess what? God's truth is still standing strong. God's people are still alive and well. And Hitler is long since gone. Why? Because God will bless those who bless Abraham. And he'll curse those who curse Abraham. If there's one thing I am hoping and praying that our leaders get right is that we support Israel because God's promise still stands. God keeps his promise. If you believe it, say amen. Aren't you glad tonight that God is faithful? He made this promise almost 6,000 years ago and it's still ringing true today. God is faithful. The, the psalmist says that his faithfulness reaches to the heavens. Wow. God is not faithful because I'm good. God's faithful because he's good. If the faithfulness of God is based upon my goodness, then guess what? It's not going to go very far. So I'm thankful tonight that God is faithful because he's good, not because I am. Let's, let's move on. Go on to Genesis chapter 15. So God makes this promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And Abraham, I think, gets to worrying about some of this because he don't yet have a descendant. Genesis chapter number 15, he don't have a son. He don't have anybody to pass down his name and make his name great. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1 says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham. Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Somebody say amen. God is our shield, speaking here to the man of faith, and our exceeding great reward. <laughs> now, we're going to see how this is true for Abraham, but it's also true for us in just a moment. But believe me, this what he says to Abraham is true for every man, woman, boy, or girl who's placed their faith in Jesus. He is our shield, the one who protects us. Amen? The Bible says he's Jehovah Nissi, the one who goes before us into battle. The, the Bible says that he is our exceeding great reward. Let me say something to you, folks. If there were no heaven and there were no hell, I still want to serve Jesus. I still want to know the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, but I'm telling you, if, there, if that wasn't true, I still would want to serve Jesus and follow Jesus just so I can know the Lord, so I can experience Him, so He can walk with me and talk with me along life's weary way, so, can I, so that I can have the relationship that I have with Him, so I can experience the joy of the Lord, the, the peace that passes all understanding, so I can really know how life is to be lived and find purpose in this life. I want to know the Lord. He is truly my exceeding great reward. He never fails me. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. When all else fail me, when fair weather friends leave in bad weather, God remains the same. He's faithful every step of the way. I love that. He's my exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord, God, thou, uh, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, and thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thou shalt not, that shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own Bible shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars, and if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall seed be. So he says, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to keep my promise. If I said I'm going to make you great, I'm going to make you great. If I said that your nation will be blessed of me, then your nation will be blessed of me. Abraham, come here just a moment. Look up at this night sky. I want you to see if you can count the stars. Now, if you can count them and tell me the number, then you'll know the number of your descendants. Now, there's a problem with that. Abraham's getting on up in years. The scripture says that Abraham was a hundred and Sarah herself was 90 when God made the promise to give him a son. Physically speaking, in other words, it wouldn't go happen. It wasn't going to happen by Abraham's power. No matter how bad Sarah wanted it, this had to be a supernatural work that only God could do. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God. Watch. Verse number six. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted unto, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed, even though physically he knew he wasn't capable, even though physically he knew Sarah wasn't capable. He believed that God was going to keep his promise. And the Bible says when he believed who God was and what God said, God counted it unto him for righteousness. He put righteousness on his account. Now why is that important? How does that tie in with what Paul is saying? It's not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus that we are truly saved. Just like Abraham. See, Abraham wasn't that good of a guy. He really wouldn't. Go back and look for yourself. You'll go back and find, like I said, he came from a pagan nation, worshiping a false god, worshiping the, if you know the area in which Abraham was living when God spoke to him, it was an it was a area that worshiped the sun, moon, and stars. But God called him out from all that. He said, Abraham, I want you to go where I'm going to send you. And Abraham believed God. And God said, okay, now I consider you righteous. I'm going to do something with you because you trusted in me. Not because Abraham was worthy or good. You go on and find a little bit further. Abraham lied several times about his own wife. He was not a perfect man. And guess what? Perfection is what God requires if you're going to make yourself right with him. Abraham couldn't brag about who he was and what he had done because he wasn't that good of a dude. God's just gracious. How do we know that? Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse number 1. Paul here again preaching the same 
message defending the same argument. He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted him for righteousness. We just read it. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. He said, If you receive your salvation through works, that just means you've worked off a debt that you owed. Then it's no longer by grace if you're working for it. Because grace is God's undeserved favor. How many of you know you don't work for the gift? A gift is given because somebody loves you, cares about you. How many of you know salvation is a gift? It's not reckoned of a working off a debt like it says here, but it's by grace. As it was for Abraham, so it is with us, with everybody. Abraham was just looking to Jesus in the future. We're looking back on Jesus into our past. Same way, though, we're still trusting by faith in God's promise. Can you say amen? All of it works for Abraham as unto us that salvation is by faith. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What's true for Abraham is true for me. Verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man of whom the Lord will not impute sin. So what, what uh, the Bible is saying to us here is, when we choose to believe on Jesus... God no longer imputes on our account or puts on our account our sinfulness, but his righteousness. So when God sees me, when he looks at my account, he doesn't see my sinfulness, but sees the righteousness of his son. How did that happen? By faith. By faith. Not because I earned it or was good enough to receive it. See, I recognize God's standard is perfection. And I recognize because God's standard is perfection, I'm never going to meet the standard. That's why I need grace, God's undeserved favor. That's why I need mercy. That's why I needed a Savior. And praise the Lord. God the Father loved me so much, He sent me one. He sent me a Savior in the person of His Son, Jesus. But He didn't just send Him to me. He sent Him to you too. And the Bible says he sent him to the world that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you seeing this? So the first scriptural argument that Paul makes in Galatians chapter number 3 is that Abraham was saved by faith and not works. We are saved if we're truly saved by faith and not works. And then he says something that I love in, John, in uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 7. Brother, if you will, please put that back on the screen for me. Look how the, the scripture puts this. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Remember me telling you all ago that when we sang the old song we sang in Sunday school or vacation Bible school about Father Abraham. For all those who've placed their faith in Jesus, we can sing that song rightly. 
He is truly our Father. Let me tell you the problem the Jews had. The Jews thought that just because they could trace their physical lineage all the way back to Abraham, that somehow that meant their eternal life was settled. That they were right with God. Simply because they had a papa named Abraham. The problem with that was, Jesus said in John chapter 8, I'm not going to go over there and, and read it tonight, we don't for lack of time, but I want you to do it this week. Uh, study for me John chapter 8 in your quiet time this week. John chapter 8, Jesus makes it clear to him. He said, you know what, if God wanted to, he could raise up children of Abraham from these stones laying on the ground. He said, you're not the children of Abraham, you're the children of the devil. The devil's your father. Abraham's not your father. Even though they had a physical lineage that they could trace all the way back to Abraham. Why did he say that? Because the true children of Abraham, just like it says in Galatians 3 and 7, are those who are of the faith. So guess what? Because I've placed faith in Jesus, I am a son of Abraham. We are true children of Abraham who's placed faith in Christ. Galatians 3, 7. They who are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Everybody get it? Isn't that good? <laughs> wow. I love that. Not only is he making the point that Abraham was saved by faith and not works, but he's also making the point that salvation is for the Gentiles. And it is. It's always been that way, that God was going to save Gentiles. Look in verses 8 and verse number 9. Watch what it says here. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. Remember us reading that? Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3. I'll bless them who bless you, and I'll curse them who curse you, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. That's what he's quoting. Now, watch. Go back to Galatians 3, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through the faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. It's always been God's plan. All the way back in Genesis 3, that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The heathen nations. I remember when I was a little boy, my mama had to raise three boys. Mom and Daddy, and I'm telling you, there was never a dull moment around our house. There was always something going on. I'm talking about we had knocked down drag outs continually, busted noses and broke arms. I remember one Saturday morning, um, my two little brothers were playing in the house there, and we were watching on TV the Andy Griffith Show when Barney was training for the marathon that they were having at the, at the town fair. Do you all remember that episode? I'm an Andy Griffith nut, so I've watched all of them about 15 times. But Barney is training to, to race in the marathon they were having at the town fair, and, and Barney was training him. And so what they were doing, Barney was laying down on his back, and Opie was sitting on his feet, all right? 
And when Opie was sitting on his feet, he was trying to show Opie how he could strengthen his legs and get ready for the race. And Opie would sit on his feet, and Barney would push him up and push him down. And so Andy comes in and sees this going on, and he wants Barney to get on his feet. And so Barney sits on Andy's feet, and then Andy shoots him out in the yard off the porch. And so we saw that, and I was like, well, hey, let's try it. So I lay down in the living room floor on my back. My little brother gets on my feet, and I'm going to shoot him through the hallway. I shot him just a little bit too hard, and the first thing that hit was his forehead on the, uh, the, the door, the top of the door frame. So he hits his head on the door frame, comes back, falls on his wrist, and breaks his arm. I mean, that was just a normal Saturday morning. That stuff like that happening all the time. And I can remember my mama saying a lot of times, Man, y'all ain't nothing but a bunch of heathens. Guess what? She was right. If you're not a Jew, we are all heathens. Gentiles. That's what the word is talking about. If you can't trace your physical lineage to Abraham, then we're a part of heathen nations that came here without the prophets Without the scripture, without the law. Matter of fact, the heathen nations were in pretty bad shape without Jesus. Well, everybody was in bad shape without Jesus. But the heathen, sure enough, were in bad shape without Jesus. We didn't even have the Old Testament scriptures that told us about Jesus coming. Let me, let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter number 2. Watch this. Ephesians, some of my favorite scripture in all the word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. Paul paints for us a picture of where we were as Gentiles without Christ. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. That's where we were as heathen Gentiles without Jesus. Do you see that? That's a pretty hopeless state, ain't it? My goodness. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by what? <laughs> the blood of Christ. How did God bring salvation to the heathen nations? How? The blood of Christ. Isn't that what it just said? You who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the sin debt for the Jews, yes. But he also paid the sin debt for the Gentile. He paid the sin debt for all mankind. And listen to me now. It's through his shed blood that we are washed clean of our sin. When we place faith in the finished work of Christ, the blood of Christ is applied to our heart and life, and we are made clean, forgiven. Though our sins be as scarlet, They'll be washed whiter than snow. Amen? And we're made nigh by the blood of Christ. Wow. So salvation is for the Gentiles is what Paul is, is telling us in, uh, in Galatians 3. Not only that Abraham was saved by faith and not work, salvation is for the Gentiles. But the third thing that he says is salvation is by faith and it's not by the law. Look at verses 10 through verse number 12. For as many as are of the, 
as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For as it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things. Everybody say all things. Which are written in the book of the law to do them. How many know the law does not bring blessing? The law brings a curse. If you go back and, and look in, in the book of Exodus, when God actually brought the law upon Mount Sinai, you know what, you know what the Bible says about it? it? It paints a very scary picture. It says that the mountain was altogether on a smoke. It's like a bomb had been dropped on the top of the mountain and it was smoking. There was thunderings. There was lightnings that was coming down on top of the mountain. And God told Moses to tell the people, you tell nobody, man or beast, they better not touch the mountain when all this is going on. They could not get close to the presence of God as God gave the law. It's not a blessing, folks. It's really a curse. Why? Anything wrong with God's law? What'd you say? Why? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with the law of God. Law of God's perfect and holy. The problem is, we're not. And so it shows us our sinfulness, does it not? It shows us who we really are. Anybody ever heard the old saying, ignorance is bliss? When you are ignorant of your wrongdoing, then you don't feel bad about your wrongdoing. Am I right? But when God makes that real to you, you begin to see just how lost and undone and sinful you are when held up next to his standard, then we've all got a problem. You say, oh, no, wait a minute, brothers. I may not be perfect, but I'm not that bad. Well, if you've got that mindset, you, first of all, you don't understand the holiness of God. Because God is holy and righteous and just in every way. And also, you're ignorant of the truth in the word of God. Let me tell you what I mean by that. James chapter 2 and verse number 10. Brother, put that on the screen for me. James 2, verse number 10. Watch how the Bible says this. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Everybody see it? So what's James telling us? What's Paul telling us? That we're cursed under the law because we've got to keep the law in all things. Well, James is saying the same thing. What James is telling us is you may do good in a lot of the points of the law, but if you fail in just one point, one time, throughout all your life, guess what? It's just like being guilty of all of it. Do you see how hopeless we are under the law? Do you see why we need grace? Do you see why grace is so good? So amazing? So powerful? God saves sinners who's broken his law by grace through faith? That's about the best news I've ever heard of. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We died when the law came because we realized our sinfulness before God who is holy. We realized our spiritual deadness. And Paul says, that, listen to me now, 
the law becomes a curse to everybody because in the law you must continue in all things. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. Today I went to um, the Chevron to eat lunch and um, just stopped by and got me something on the way to where we were headed at that time and eat it going down the road. And, and I, I, if anybody's not tried their buffet, I encourage you to do so. It's fantastic. I'm talking about they cooking some food like my mom used to cook it. Pinto beans, cornbread, hamburger steak, chicken fingers, Brussels sprouts, praise Jesus. Some, I love Brussels sprouts. Little cabbages. I love them. I smile when I see Brussels sprouts. Fantastic. Got me some Brussels sprouts today. Got me some pinto beans. I laid off on the cornbread. Didn't get that. I'm trying to um, cut down a little bit so I didn't get the cornbread. But man, I wanted the cornbread. Just didn't get it. It's good. If, you're, if you eat cornbread, go get you some. But now listen. I was able in that cafeteria line to pick and choose what I wanted. Now, a lot of people think that's the way the law is. That we can pick and choose what feels good to us. Right? No. The Bible says, if you're going to try to make yourself right by the law, you've got to keep the law in all things. If that's how you're going to go, if that's the route you're headed, you better do all of it, all the time, all your life, perfectly. The law is not some kind of cafeteria where we pick and choose what we want or what feels good to us or what we prefer. The law is God's standard, and it's there to show us we can't meet it. That's the point he's making. Salvation is by faith. It's not the law because we can't keep the law. And then he says, salvation is by and through Jesus in Christ, in Christ alone. Where do we see that? Verses 13 and 14, watch this. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Do you see it? How is it possible that we get out from under this curse of the law? Well, just like it says, because... Christ was made a curse for us. The problem with the law is that we couldn't keep it, and when we didn't keep it, we sinned. And when we sinned, it separated us from God who is holy. And the only way that we could be reconciled to God was as if our sin problem was taken care of. Now, the problem is we were already sinners. We couldn't fix our sin problem, right? We had already failed. See, even if you started right now and done everything right from here on out, what about the stuff you've done before then? Do you get my point? And so how was God going to reconcile us back to himself and still remain just, righteous, and holy? He had to deal with sin, and he had to show love to us. And he did both of those things through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he loved us, he sent his son. And his son came and did for us what we couldn't do. He kept perfectly the law. He was born perfect through the virgin birth, being, being born free of the fleshly sinful nature of man. He lived perfect for 33 and a half years upon this, upon this earth, never even having one bad thought or one bad action. And then he went to the cross and was cursed because of the law 
and said we could go free if we'll only trust him because he came the, came the curse for us. Is everybody getting it? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I cannot trust myself for salvation. I can't fix myself. I'm cursed under the law. However, praise be unto God, I can and should and need to trust in the finished work of Jesus because he became a curse for me. And you, this is the gospel message we've got to be sharing. The price has been paid. Come to Jesus, the same Jesus who has saved me by his grace. will save everybody by his grace. Why? He's no respecter of persons. I don't care who you are, what you've done. The grace of God is sufficient for you. Satan has lied to some folks and he said, you know, you, you went too far. You've done too much. You've messed up so bad God can't fix you. No, it's not true. If Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Verse 13, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Through who? How did the Gentile get in on the blessing of God? Through Jesus. You go back and read in Ephesians 2, and I encourage you to, you're going to find that it says, He broke down the middle wall of partition between us. The middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile was broken down in Christ, through Christ, because He prayed for the sins of Jews and Gentiles. That's what it's talking about. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we've got right back to where we started. How did they receive? the Spirit in their lives. How do we receive the Spirit into our life? How? By faith. By faith. Trust in Jesus, folks. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. The Gentiles thought, man, Abraham's our papa. That means we're good to go. And Jesus tried to make it clear to them that nobody is grandfathered in to the faith. How I mean, you know, listen to me now. God has no grandchildren. He doesn't. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people are, have the misconception that, hey, well, mama was a good Christian woman and daddy was a good Christian man and papa was a preacher and, and, and uncle so-and-so, you know, man, he lived for the Lord all his life. And, and so I just, I think I'm good to, no, you're, it's not about what they did, who they trusted, who have you trusted? That was the point Jesus made to the Jews and that's the point we need to come to ourselves 
Who have we trusted? Anybody got anything, comments, or questions?